I think that's where spiritual direction is such a key discipline because you have another person with which to crack open this anxiety with. And we just get to together kind of hold space for it and let it be. And then ask the questions of, so where where is the spirit inviting you to go within your anxiety? And I think modeling that for our for the next generation is the way forward, rather than trying to say, what's causing our kids to be anxious and how do we fix it? Instead, how do we model, how do we best model being followers of Jesus who are also deeply anxious about the world that we're in? And how do we then show people in our community How do you walk through this in a way that's healthy? That was Casey Tigrid, and this is the Things Above podcast. Well, my guest today is Casey Tigrid, who has been on the show who the episode that we had you on the show is our third highest downloaded episode of all of the episodes, Casey. So welcome back. Hey, thank you. Thanks I have for no idea the invitation. Why. I, we always, I love talking with you. We, are, we have known each other for, my goodness, at least 12, 10, 12 years. And we've worked together on various projects. And I have just uh, marveled at the work you do and your career and the, the books you've written and will write mm-hmm. and uh, your ministry and I and your talks. I, I've watched several of your talks. And of course, you gave a wonderful talk at the Apprentice Gathering uh, mm-hmm. that was marvelous. But even some others, um, there's a thing called YouTube. Have you heard of it? Uh, I'm hearing can, rumors. Are you hearing that. about it? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. getting popular. Anyway, I've seen some sermons of yours on YouTube and you're really good. You're a really good communicator. Oh, that's humbling. Thank you. Which is wonderful, isn't it? Because not a lot of people are good writers and speakers, I've found. Some people are good at one or the other. I feel like it's hard. I feel like you have to you have to think with two different parts of and in the methodologies are so different and and can you be I think for speakers it's can you be engaging while at the same time being thoughtful? And that sounds like it should be easier than it is, but it's it's not, it's not very Mm -hmm. easy. So, and I don't even think I hit that all the time, but, um, there is a difference to it. And you, you're right. There are those people that are like, ah, read their book, but don't listen to them speak or, or (laughs) go into it forewarned that you may not want to read their book if you listen to them speak first. But, um, it's, I I don't know. I don't know why I get to do what I do, but uh, I'm glad that I do. So, well, cause you do it well and you uh, have a gift and an anointing and all of that, those things. And it's uh, obviously been affirmed by the, the ministries that you've been involved in and, and how they've done so well. And, mm-hmm. and the third highest download on our podcast. So that's, oh, that's, no, that's, that's, I'm going to credit myself though. I mean, I think yeah. it was not me. I think I carried that conversation. You talked a lot. I barely said anything and, and it was the <laughs> editing, like, let's just three cheers for the editing here. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it was all that. I just, I just showed up. I was just, I was watching. I was, <laughs> oh, here's a, here's a little side thing is that I listened to that episode when it aired and I was in Colorado with my dog at a dog park and it was just beautiful. I was looking at the mountains and walking around at this, with this dog park and um, listening to you talk. It was, and I just thought, well, this is a good episode. Like you had a lot of good things to say. So, so it must've been the mountains. 
still. Now the bigger question is: Was did did Winston enjoy the episode? He loved. He oh. no, he didn't listen to you. He was very. Oh. He was taken by the other dogs, at, uh. as he often is. Actually, he's more taken just by running around. Sure, Sounds he just right. loves the dog park. Like, like unbelievable. I'm going to take him today. I think. I think you should. I'm going to. It's a beautiful day here in Wichita. Well, you know, this episode we're we're doing here in late spring of 2021. And the pandemic is easing. You know, vaccinations are happening at a rapid pace and things are beginning to open up and softening some rules and that sort of thing. And one of the things I would just, I wanted to talk with you because you're a spiritual director, you're a you're in ministry, you or you listen to people and and reflect deeply. What are some of your thoughts on the impact of all of this pandemic on our souls? And because, well, you know, say a little bit about your ministry with Soul Care. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I started uh, working with Mindy Caliguire and Soul Care. For those of you who are familiar with Mindy, she founded the organization some years ago, but we We've begun to focus on spiritual direction as one piece of our one focal point of ministry. The other is uh, a soul care leadership coaching, which is the other arm. And so I'm the director of our spiritual direction practice. So I oversee, we have seven spiritual directors right now who see individuals. Uh, we focus primarily on church leaders, non-for-profit and parachurch leaders, and provide spiritual direction Um now, because we're doing most everything digitally, most of our directees are uh, virtual, but our, our job really is to, what we're committed to doing is creating a non-anxious space for people to pause and to listen to where God is active in their life. Mm. And especially for ministry leaders, church leaders, high, high intensity volunteers, parachurch people, people who are who are in the trenches of that kind of work all the time, it's very hard to find the slow point uh, to listen. And what has been interesting about the pandemic is that in a lot of ways, it's given us some time, um, at least the early stages of lockdown. It gave us, it gave people some time to actually pause. And I had so many conversations virtually, of course, with people saying, I, I just love I, I just love being able to be with my family again. Like with mm -hmm. all of our events canceled, we realized just how busy our life was and how much I actually like the people who live in my house. And I, it, so some of that slowdown was really helpful, but it also flushed a bunch of other things out and into the, into the air. And so with soul care now we're, we're helping people process through that and where is God active? And, and I'm seeing so many Men and women in ministry who are having these seasons of really incisive, significant discernment about what they want to do next. Mm. Mm. And half the conversations I have are about that. The other half are typically about some form of spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction. And so I think... As a part of our our navigating the pandemic, we're starting to we're starting to actually understand what our souls are and how they work. And mm -hmm. as we tinker with it, suddenly there are all these new questions like, "Oh, I should I should probably pay attention to this. I I was busy enough before; I didn't have to. But now now I feel like I need to pay attention to what are my family rhythms, mm -hmm. 
And so it's, I think it's both individual, but we're also seeing at a corporate level, organizations and churches are beginning to rethink some of the things that are important or used to be important, or, or basically coming to terms with the fact that nothing is ever going to be like it was before. Okay. Well, there's a big statement right there. Let's, let's just hit the pause button on that statement. Yeah. Nothing is going to be as it was before. Yeah. Say more about that. Why? I think there's a few reasons. One is in the first, in our last conversation, I talked a lot about memory and how uh, memories make us who we are. They, they rewire our brains. And so we don't even know who God is. We can't even articulate the concept of God without our memories. Like I can't talk to you about who God is without talking about the Bible, the vacation Bible school I went to when I was a kid and with the giant orange uh, coolers of Kool-Aid and the hastily made cookies. And when somebody, probably an older woman who uh, was tasked to teach the six-year-olds until she talked about God. So that memory is what, what I have to go back to, or at least begin with, when I even start talking about God. This, the last year and a half, have create, has created a new set of memories, and they've rewired parts of our brains. Like the neurological impact of things like fear, uncertainty, doubt, not to mention uh, the the things we've become aware of, um, the great pause that is the last year and a half has brought to the surface racial injustice that's always been there. But I think in a lot of ways, most of us were just so busy we did if, if it didn't directly impact us. Mm-hmm. We could just look away. And now, since this this great pause moment of the last year and a half has come up, we can't forget what we've seen. Mm-hmm. People who have seen, who saw the footage of George Floyd, they can't forget that. And so now your brain is rewired to think about not only that event, but how people responded to that event. Mm-hmm. And how, especially as followers of Jesus, did how who among us talked about justice and who among us talked about hope and who among us talked about you know, reconciliation and compassion. Like those things are now folded in there and we, we can't go back. And so there's, I feel like nothing will ever be the same again because we've been brought to a point where we've not really ever been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us have never lived through a global pandemic. Right, right. It, and this trust level that, you know, all, all these systems and all these things that have always been operational in any place there were cracks in our social or theological or economic structure, the pressure of the last year and a half has just pushed down on that. And suddenly we're beginning to see the, the fissures, we're, we're beginning to see the, the weak spots because the pressure is being applied. And so, you know, even if it's something as neutral as, I'm in the, right now I'm talking to you guys. I'm in the back of my car in my garage. And the reason that I'm there is because I have a brand new puppy, a child who's doing distance learning, and my wife is still not back to the office. So there's four of us in our house who all have different noises we want to create. So the back of my car in my garage is literally the quietest it's, place. It's your, it's your studio. <laughs> your it's my, studio. No, it's my cloister. It's like my monastic <laughs> cell back here. Plus it has great acoustics. But even that, yeah. you know, we're starting to see that, do we need to be in places to do what it is that we do? 
Churches mm-hmm. have begun to realize we can continue to connect with people without them ever coming to our building. Now, should we? That's a whole different question. But that door has been opened now. Right. And once that door has been opened, and it's it's we're not going to go back to where that innocence of I don't know what it's like to do church online mm-hmm. or you know, what if we don't have everybody who works here on site? Could we actually could we actually survive as a company, as a church, as an organization? So there are a lot of those things, but if we boiled it down to the soul level, I think things will never be the same because a soul is always a soul in context. Mm-hmm. Right. So if the soul is the whole of who we are, if it's the whole burrito, I like to tell people it's the whole burrito. You don't go into a, a good burrito place and order all the ingredients. You say, I want a burrito. It's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, then it's always going to be located in a place in time. And our place in time is one where we've just experienced one of the most vulnerable year and a half periods that many of us have ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And yeah. our souls will react accordingly. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I agree with that. I agree with the, the, the certainly the part about memory of which you are an expert. Uh, you've written a book on that. And there is no question that we, you can't unsee things we've seen and, and unfeel things we've felt. And I agree with that. Let me just for the sake of, and not the devil's advocate, I never want to advocate for the devil, but just the opposite side. I might also be able to make the case that I think we just are really good at amnesia, that we mm. also time passes and we forget things and things will will have to remind ourselves. Like the I'm I'm playing the long game here, and I'm saying maybe in five years, a lot of things are back to normal. I mean, I, I, that's mm-hmm. just my own sense. You know, when during this pandemic, I looked at the, the flu, the Spanish flu. I mean, I, I really never knew much about it, right? I mean, I, don't, I think a lot of people did. I mean, I'd heard of it, but when you start seeing the pictures and they're making the comparisons, you're going, Wow, that was in some ways worse than what we're doing. Like this was really, really tragic, and they didn't have the communication that we have. They didn't have the, you know, all the the technology that we have, and all that sort of thing. And you think, wow. And then it was kind of forgotten. And then 1957, 1958. I was just reading an article last weekend that pr- probably the most comparable pandemic hap- in America happened in 57, 58. Mm-hmm. And I read this whole article about. It. I go, I didn't even know about it. I was born in 1961, but, um, and they, you know, they didn't, they didn't lock down in the same ways that we have. Um, but, but it was in terms of the number of people who died and all these things that happened because of that pandemic. So I just, there's a, there's a little bit of me that thinks, yeah, we humans, we just, we have amnesia. You know, it's like, you know, one of my friends who's probably listening to this episode, Tim, um, he has kids that are a little bit older than me. And we were talking when we first had younger kids and how these, you know, other parents whose kids are older, they, they're, they're like critical of the way you parent. And they're saying, well, it wasn't like that when I was parenting or I didn't parent over parent like you guys do. And then my friend Tim just said, yeah, because they have amnesia. Like, you know, 10 years later, they, for, they forget when their kid was throwing tantrums and being whatever because their kid's 20 now or whatever. And I, I just, I think that amnesia happens. I don't know. Do you critique that thought? Is there any possibility that if someone listens to this episode five years from now, I'll be more right than you? Sure. I'm not trying to be more right than you. Oh, you I mean, just let's, let's be honest, side. Jim. You'll always be more right than me. We all know this. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I think it's a yes, a yes, but because when we talk about changes to the soul, we we're often talking about big events, but we're also talking about, we're talking about minute granular level changes in a lot of ways. So, so much so that we can live with something that has been fundamentally altered for our whole lives and not really know it. The whole impetus for me writing the memory book was I kept having these spiritual direction conversations. And by the time we got, we got to the heart of what the person was dealing with, it was some event that had happened years before that had left this little strain that had blossomed into something so much bigger to where it was controlling their habits. And maybe it was a big event that they quote unquote moved on from. And some of this is our, um, our inability to give, to give grief its, its due. Um, when I talk to people who've experienced a loss these days, I try very hard to say that I'm praying that they have a good grief. Um, Mm. because there is so much to that grieving process that keeps us from having these like these little barnacles of conflict or or even narrative that stick and then they change everything that we like we have a we might have a compulsive behavior because deep down in our soul it's been there and we we just didn't even know it so we may go back to similar rhythms and similar habits um you know schools may reopen people may go back to church and all of that but there will always be this thing that now is fundamentally different at the depths of who we are. And may, mm. even if it's just as simple as we start to grasp the impermanence of things in a different way. And that's where coming back to your point, yes, it's very much like this. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, some wise person said that one time, I mm-hmm. remember. Trying to remember who that was. Yeah. I think it was the birds, maybe the band exactly. in the sixties. Yes, that they. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but nothing is new under the sun. What's what is new is that this is our first time processing it within the context of our life with God. Mm-hmm. And so I would say yes. I think you're right. There's a lot of amnesia. Uh, some of it helpful because it keeps us from just locking up with trauma. Uh, some of it because we are just in a move on, deal with it culture, and and some of it because truthfully we we just tend to forget our history, but that narrative stays with us. Yeah, and I even see I see this when I talk to people about the New Testament when we talk about the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, people who are reading the Bible for the first time want to yell at the Pharisees and go. Are you guys stupid? How do you not see this? Like, look at all this stuff that's happening and you're still fighting with this person. And I, I, I want to sit with them and go, but you have to understand there's a story deep down in them that shapes their soul, that shapes their whole view of reality right. that comes from things that they've carried with them into this particular moment. And I feel like, I don't feel like it's maybe that much gravity, but the pandemic is one of those things we're going, we are going to carry it with us in one way or another. And in that sense, we will never walk into anything in the same way. Yeah, I agree. Let me, let me uh, jump over on your side of the fence and agree with you in, in, I love what you said about memory and, and the impact in the soul. It, it doesn't forget. 
And so I, I think that's absolutely true. But, you know, one of the principles in, in spiritual formation is that time and intensity are factors in the practice of the disciplines. So, for example, if I, if I say I'm going to have three minutes of solitude and silence, the time and intensity is not long enough. Like, that's not going to have an impact on me. If I say I'm going to have three hours of solitude, that, that'll impact me. If I say I'm going to go to a monastery on a five-day silent retreat, that's going to have more of an impact, you know, in, 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 in every level. That's right. So I think in terms of the, the time, the length of this, of the pandemic and the intensity of it, that it didn't just cause a few changes in our lives, but it really changed so many things. I agree that I think it's going to, it's going to stay with us. Those of us who lived through it. Have you heard about the guy in England, the 19 year old kid who went into a coma, like at the start of the pandemic and is, is woke. Yeah. And he just, I think in February, he started coming out of the coma and he's just learning about, about about the pandemic. Yeah. He, he was, I think 10 or 11 months in a, in a coma. And his parents were really quite concerned that, well, you know, like, how are we going to tell him about this? Like, what what he missed. Uh, but but for those of us who didn't miss it, who actually lived, you know, through it, um, it, it will impact us. And I think maybe young people even more. What do you think mm. about that? Like, I've, I mean, I've, what we know about the millennials and Gen Z is that it's already an anxious generation. Mm. Statistically, it's kind of off the charts when you read the level of anxiety. Uh, no, there's, it's not even comparable to any other generation has felt. And I yeah. think adding the pandemic to it, that's a concern for me is how will, how will, like my, my wife, Megan teaches sixth grade global studies and she mm. has, you know, 12 year olds. And so she's walked through the last year and a half with sixth graders, you know, and then, and they, they're good with their masks. Like they don't, they adjusted pretty quick and they're, they're, they can roll with a lot of things, but I wonder like what that future is going to be like for the, for the younger people who watch this happen. Will there be a, cause they say even like the 2008 financial collapse that happened in 08, that, that, that that's a part of why Gen Z kids are anxious. Cause they, they saw it wasn't quite, you know, the great depression, but it was the great recession and they saw the impact and that creates some anxiety. So uh, you have any thoughts about that, Casey? There's, well, as the as the father, yeah, as the father of a teenager, uh, there's a, there's a great deal of that that makes sense to me. And just the conversations we're having around our house about the pandemic and schools being opened, and and it and it always comes back to you know I I continue to come back to a soul is just a soul when it's in context. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really interested. I would love to to you know ten years from now go back to this young man from from Britain who just woke up from the coma and see how his life looks different, having to live with all these people who experienced, you know, March of 20 to now. Mm -hmm. I I wonder if that isn't the case study for what you and I are talking about. Yeah. And and then if he is a a person who follows Jesus and is a part of a, a community of faith to see how that changes the way that they that he experiences God and understands his faith and and lives out the teachings of Jesus in the middle of it because that that's the other thing that's happened is there's also when you when you bring it back to the states and I know not all of your listeners are in the states but for us in the states 
we can't look at the pandemic without also looking at what happened in politics mm -hmm. and the right. way faith and politics that had always been wedded together in certain ways, good, bad, and otherwise, uh, really came to the surface. And there is a, I think there's a vast sweeping change in, in the way that Christians are talking about politics now that mm -hmm. wasn't there before the pandemic. Would it have happened anyway? I don't know. Mm. But as far as the anxiety in children, I, I think the the anxiety in children is sort of, uh, obviously there's a brain chemistry piece to it. And, and anxiety is a, a very complicated, much more complicated thing than we often give it credit for. But there's also this piece where it's somewhat reflective too. There's a reflection of what the people, the adults in their life, are anxious about. And I, I tend to believe that embracing anxiety and in a prayerful posture, but also in a, in a posture of acknowledging that it is a real thing. I love Paul talking about, don't be anxious about anything, mm -hmm. but he, he's not really clear on the how to, yeah. um, you know, go ahead and pray. Don't be anxious yeah. about anything, but in everything take with prayers, you know, yeah. take your cares. Yes. Um, but that's like a, that's a moment to moment, second to second kind of thing. And so we'll always be coming back to that anxiety so that then we can take it and then we can present it. So it, mm -hmm. it feels like it's not as easy as we sometimes make it out to be. And the spiritual practices that we engage in will affect this next generation, um, namely our honesty about anxiety, but also our, our, uh, our ability to bring that into when we bring our anxiety to times of silence and solitude, or this is why I, and I know it's what I do. So it sort of sounds like, well, of course you're going to say that's a thing because that's what you do. But I think that's where spiritual direction is such a key discipline because you have another person with which to crack open this anxiety with. And we just get to together kind of hold space for it and let it be. And then ask the questions of, so where, where is the spirit inviting you to go within your anxiety? And mm -hmm. I think modeling that for our, the next generation is, is the way forward rather than trying to say, what's causing our kids to be anxious and how do we fix it? Well, that's like squeezing jello. You're mm. it's going everywhere. Yeah. Instead, how do we model how do we best model being followers of Jesus who are also deeply anxious about the world that we're in? Mm -hmm. And how do we then show our children and grandchildren and, you know, people in our neighborhood, how people in our community, how do you walk through this in a way that's healthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there are, I think there are things that are um, positive things that will stay with us when I, think about my, my own life. I think about, you know, looking over the last 20 years and the work I've done in spiritual formation, this was, this was a big pause. I mean, this was a, you know, I actually preached the first, I, I preach once a month at the, the church where at Chapel Hill, where I serve as a teaching pastor. And my Sunday fell on the first day that we didn't have a congregation, like the, we didn't have people come. Hmm. And so it was, it was very weird because it was just the people on staff, there was so like eight people. I was preaching to an empty sanctuary with eight people. But in that sermon, I'm, I did say that I, I predicted then that, I, that, that 
it would help us to slow down. It would help us to, it would create some space and some margin and, and that that would, that would have an impact. I think that's probably, if you were to ask me, so Jim, what do you think is the one thing that will stay with you personally? I, th- I think it's that for, for me, this was a big pause. This was a big slowing down. And th- I think that that one's the one I, that I do think, even when I will get some amnesia as the years roll by in the future, I, I think that one is going to stay. I think I'll remember that in the same way that, you know, I, I talked to my father a lot about World War II. He was in World War II. And there was a lot about being in World War II that never left my dad. Like it was, he, it, it was impossible to separate kind of like what you said the, from the vacation Bible school memory. Like it was impossible to, to be with him and not experience that if you knew him well, um, what those years were, you know, were like for him, what he saw, the not so good and some of the good, you know, the valor and the, you know, they called the greatest generation, those folks who, who lived through that. And, um, so I, I, I think that there are those things that will stay. What, what for you would you say if they, if you had to say, what's the one thing that probably it'll still be impacting you or the impact will still be there? Well, and there's, and it's probably about 12 things. So if we, if we want to do a two hour episode, we could probably handle all that, but <laughs> cover um, all. I think, I think what it has done for me, I've, the last few years I've been on this journey of, and I'm going to try and use as many buzzwords as possible. So I've already got journey. So we'll check that one off. Um, I've been on this, this path of really simplifying down what, what matters most. And what's interesting to me is I, I, you know, sometimes you take something out for a walk and you're like, is this just me or is this, and I'm hearing other people say, yeah, absolutely. To begin to simplify and not like, you know, simplifying stuff is fine and schedule is fine, but really getting to the heart of what matters most right now. Mm-hmm. And I think this this time, more than anything else, left me with the feeling of that list is still much smaller than I thought it was. Mm. That list of things that matter most and when I say the things that matter most, it's kind of like the list of things you'd you'd be willing to go to war for, or the list of things you'd be willing to get into a social media back and forth over, or the list of things that you would be willing to give up money, time, and energy to pursue. Like that, there are a lot of good things going on in the church and in the world, but this this season has really, really simplified that list for me. And I don't have my list, but I know it's less things than I thought it was before. My wife and I talked about that. When we both turned 40, we had this moment where the we have the give a crud list that we just shrank down. And we were like, these are the things that that we're really that we really care about. And then anything else like you want to get into a debate about, uh, fine. Um, it's just not that, it's just not that interesting anymore. And I think I think a time like a pandemic and a time where everything, all your defaults are gone, it allows you to get to that point a little bit faster. There are some people who get that, who I found who get there through crisis. So you have a good, big, fat chaos kind of moment. And suddenly you're like, all right, clear the table. 
here's the three things that matter most. Or like the, I used to give people this exercise and I would say, you know, let's pretend you're going to move tomorrow. Of the stuff in your home, what would you keep and what would you give away? Mm-hmm. And then I would say, okay, today I want you to go give that stuff away that you would give away. Because if you're going to give it up tomorrow, you really don't need it now. Mm-hmm. So like those chaos moments, those crisis moments, those pandemic, panic, anxiety kind of moments, they really, they turn the volume down on everything else if we let them. And then they get us to the point where we can actually hear spirit say, here's the stuff that I'm inviting you to really care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I'm seeing pastors do yeah. that a lot. I mean, just reconsidering what am I actually called to? What do I want to, you know, Dallas used to talk about, we're here to do the work that God has left for us in the world. And they're really focusing down on that. And, and that's been the gift of some of these, you know, as a spiritual director, a lot of times, you know, you talk about the value to the directee. I come out of sessions sometimes going, dang, absolutely. Yeah, I need to think about that. That's good for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's spot on. And I'm so glad you touched on that because that would be um, if the slowing down and a pace of life that I don't want to forget. I don't think I will forget. But what you said is also true. And I think it'd probably be a close second in terms of how I feel. You know, I think of two stories. One is um, Anne Lamott um, used to tell the story about her close friend, Pam, who was diagnosed with cancer and wasn't given a whole lot of time to live, maybe a year, I think. And she tells the story that she took Pam with her when she was shopping and she tried on a uh, a pair of jeans. And I, you know, it was the classic, you know, do these jeans look, make me look fat. And her friend Pam said, I just don't have that kind of time like to care about that, you know? And I, I think about that, like, I just don't have that kind of time. And I think the pandemic awakens you to, yeah, I don't have time to, as you put it, the don't give a crud. Like I, I don't have time for that. I've anymore. That used to be something that would catch me. The other story I think of is um, the late Warren Zevon. Uh, who was on David Letterman's show, the, the old rock and roll guy. Um, but he was on David Letterman, and he also ha- had been given a, a, a diagnosis that he didn't have a long time to live. And David Letterman actually asked him, it was a very interesting question to ask a guest on a, on a you know, a night, late night talk show. But he said, what do you know, Warren? What do you know in your situation that I don't know? And he said, how good a sandwich is supposed to taste? You know, oh. like how, how good a sandwich actually is. And uh, so those two stories, you know, I, I, I don't have that kind of time and I, I know how good a sandwich tastes. I think of those two stories that the pandemic has made me think about that. Just, yeah, yeah. do we have time to really worry about that? Because that, that shouldn't probably be a priority for me. That shouldn't catch me or move me in the way it does. Well, uh, out of that is that the other thing that's so good about, I, I love those I love both of those stories. And I love that you referenced Warren Zevon. I mean, come on. Um, (laughs) What it also points to is the fact that when we talk about the soul, we often are thinking in sort of like airy-fairy, out there in the stratosphere kind of terms. But that idea of how good a sandwich tastes, that is a deeply human, and I would say since it's deeply human, it's deeply spiritual. It's a deeply significant soul kind of moment mm-hmm. because we, we're still fighting the Gnosticism of body bad, spirit good. Right. But the one doesn't, you know, they, they live together in context. And so, you know, that first time 
after the lockdown that I went outside and like went and played golf, it was, it was a feeling like there was a physical sensation of, oh, this, like I've done this for 20 some years, but this time feels different. Yeah. Like there's something sacred, not in the way I played far from it. Um, but there's something sacred about this moment and this, this physical feeling of, of experiencing like the life that God has made. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you would have missed that. I, it would have just been, well, of course it's spring and we're going to play golf and that's what we do. But there was something more significant. So not only just the the slowing down and trimming the list, but giving us a chance to almost, who is it? It's uh, the philosopher, uh, Paul Ricoeur talks about the second naivete, like coming back to something again for the first time. And it almost gives us this beautiful moment to rediscover how good God has made the physical world and how deeply that matters to us in our formation. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I remember, um, my daughter Hope's roommate um, asked to store her bike over the summer. But I remember I, when I got on that bike, and I'd ridden a bike in a while, I just got on the bike and I was out in the air and breathing. This was probably two months into the pandemic, maybe three, but I, re- I remember just going, wow. Like it was like I was 10 years old riding a bike again. It was so this, this feeling, it just, I, I never would have felt that if it wasn't for the pandemic. So there, there are some of those, those kinds of experiences. And then, uh, gosh, it was just a month or so ago, we were on our deck and kids were over with their significant others and we were having a lovely afternoon on the deck. And then these neighbors that live in behind us and one over catty cornered, um, they, the guy that lives in the house, he, he, he has a, a barbershop quartet and they came outside and started singing. Oh. And I can't remember the last time I heard a barbershop quartet and, um, it was a beautiful day. So there were a lot of us on uh, all of our, na- the whole neighborhood seemed like was in their backyard that day, but they sang a song. And when they ended, there was this applause, this eruption, all the houses, all the people just started clapping and, and, uh, and they hoot and hollered. Thank you, you know, for that. Cause they hadn't performed in front of people either, but uh, I was just like the human voice is, is, Oh my gosh, this is happening. So I think there is some level of appreciation. And I guess that's why, the amnesia I talked about. I hope that there's some things I just hope I don't have amnesia about. I hope I can still experience those kinds of things like, you know, or on Zevon's like, the, how, how good is a sandwich supposed to taste? How wonderful is the human voice? You know, how does it sound? And just to still be moved by that. Well, um, can I, can I ask you when you heard that, did it strike you as it, not only something that you enjoyed and something that was beautiful, but was there something about it where you just thought, I, th- I think I needed that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so yeah. much just like an add on or a, you know, like an amenity. It was, I, I needed, I needed them to come out and belt out that barbershop quartet mm-hmm. stuff. I, I actually, there was a spot in me that was empty because of that. Oh, exactly. For sure a place that would had been kind of dormant or just darkened and empty. And it was just this, it touched a place in my, my soul, right. That, that uh, just came to life. And I didn't even know it was there until uh, those, those sound waves came across the air and into my ears and, you know, it just touched off memories. It was just, it was beautiful. 
It was I actually almost like, like barbershop I, some people find it annoying, but, <laughs> but, I, but I like it. I mean, I think it's, I love that the, the way those, the four voices blend together. See, and I, I see that as a, as a, that's a give us this day kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give us a, what we needed. Yeah. And this is what you needed for that particular, that particular moment. And absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a gift. So Casey, you have been at the Apprentice Gathering in the past. You have been to, I think, every Apprentice Gathering. All of them. Yeah. I think I didn't know what to do great. last year. I was so lost. <laughs> <laughs> you've been to them. You've brought uh, some of the folks, guys. You've mentored. You've you've taught it at it workshops, and you've been a plenary speaker. And you will be back at the Apprentice Gathering September twenty third through the twenty fifth of this year, twenty twenty one. People are signing up. Isn't that great? That people are. I mean, they're starting to say, "Hey, I think by late September, I'm going to be ready to get out and be with people." And um, so I'm excited about that. But you're going to. Uh, you're going to be there with Soul Care, the ministry you're working with. You're going to do a couple of workshops. You're going to be doing spiritual direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited for all that you're going to be doing. I am too. We're doing just a couple workshops on for, we're finding a lot of people, spiritual direction as a concept sounds great, but when it comes down to what is it, there's still not a lot of clarity. So I'm just doing a very basic workshop session on what is spiritual direction and why why does it matter and then myself and a few of our directors will be there from soul care to offer individual spiritual direction for all the participants at the at the gathering mm, and so i'm really i'm just looking forward to to giving people a gift that honestly the reason i do it is because it was a gift that was given to me at a time when i was at a really rough transition point in my life and and spiritual development and a good director helped to, I say, they saved my bacon in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, so I'm just, I'm sort of paying it forward in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, so to get to do that at a place like the apprentice gathering, gathering that I love so much is, it's just a double, it's just a double benefit to me. So, yeah, well, it, you, it's been a joy and, and, uh, you know, I, I like to remind you that I think it was the second, maybe, I don't know if first, second or third, it was one of the early apprentice gatherings and Twitter was fairly new because that was probably 2010, 2011. And I came out on stage, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? I do. I do. And I love it. <laughs> I came out wearing a sweater vest that I thought looked quite dapper. I thought I was really looking, I was, I was, you know, sporting my sweater vest and you tweeted something. Would you remember what you tweeted? I tweeted James Brian Smith bringing back the sweater vest. <laughs> and and, people, it, and, and let's be honest, it wasn't it wasn't that you didn't pull it off. It <laughs> it actually kind of was that you did, and <laughs> and uh, so, but it was it was a, a wonderful way to begin what has become a a beautiful partnership. So <laughs> yes, yeah, because like, people started to tell me that some guy's been tweeting about your sweater vest. <laughs> And I was like, who is this guy? And now, you know, not only have I, did I find out who that was, but we've become very good friends and I'm grateful for you and all you do. And, and I'm so glad that you're going to be here for, for this event. And we're excited. People are, are as I said, they really are starting to, uh, you know, sign up for the conference, which is so good. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. And one of the great things that we're really so happy about is it is, it is in person. It is not a virtual conference. It is, it is 
um, people are going to be live. We feel like that uh, by that time in late September that we'll, we'll be able to be, um, I mean, they, we don't know what restrictions might be important then, but it looks like probably not a lot, which would be great to just to be once again, face to face with people and gather together with these um, the people who care about spiritual formation. And so I'm excited for that. And and the, always to present you, Casey, and give you opportunity because you're, I think you're one of those voices for the future of formation because, you know, guys like me that are getting old, we got we to gotta do everything we can to spotlight guys like you and gals like you who are doing the stuff and uh, carrying on that, that work. So thank you for all that you do, brother. Oh, likewise. Thanks for the conversation. I'm always, I always enjoy talking with you, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Casey Tigert. He is one of my favorite people. Well, we are going to go on our usual summer hiatus. So the Things Above podcast will go on a little bit of a break, but we will be back in August. And I hope you will resume listening to these podcasts. We love doing them. I love doing them. And I love the people that we have on. We have some great guests coming up. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, Things Above. Things Above.